All right, welcome into episode 59 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. I'm Luke Lipinski. No, uh, no special guest Jamie Eisner today. He is, he's now officially become special guest. He is, yeah, he probably has roles. dropped to that status, hasn't he? It's, it's been, here's the question for you, Craig. Who comes back first, Jamie Eisner or Taylor Hall? Mm. We know we have a specific timeline for Taylor Hall. We have three to four weeks, right? Three to four weeks, yeah. Yeah, I might bet on Taylor Hall. Here. It's gonna, it's gonna be close. It's so much easier to rip him when he's not here, isn't it? I don't see. That's just what frustrates me. I almost feel like it's easier to rip Jamie when he is here, or it's at least more satisfying because I can see the looks of anger and the, the dog left in the rain look. Yeah. outside the glass. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, it is episode 59. Unfortunately, we've got some injuries, some very significant injuries to not report on. You already know about them, but to discuss, I guess. Taylor Hall, Johnny Gaudreau, and I think the one we have to start with because I think it's it's the biggest uh, talking point. Steven Stamkos, Craig, not necessarily done for the year, but he is supposedly going to undergo uh, arthroscopic knee surgery on a torn meniscus and will miss at least four months. It's, uh, it's been a tough ride for Steven Stamkos if you start to think about this, like how much he has missed over the last, and he missed basically the playoffs last year. What was it, the 2013-14 season when he had the really, really bad leg injury? Yeah, yeah I can still remember watching that one. Yeah, that was a bad one. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And it, it, Aside from the individual, obviously this impacts the team. In dramatic fashion as well. This is a team that we had identified as an absolute cup contender at the start of the season. Maybe even our favorite to win the cup. So this is going to be a big blow. But you, I think they're still a contender, though. Yeah, they are. You feel for a guy, though, that's gone through as much as he's gone through. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't seem fair. No, it doesn't. And, and I, I'm going to write something for today's Slapshot tomorrow, probably comparing the Taylor Hall injury to the Steven Stamkos injury, just in terms of the impact on their teams. But sticking with Stamkos specifically for a second... Like, if, okay, if you look at those two, the Taylor Hall injury, I think, has more of an impact on New Jersey because he is New Jersey. I mean, there's yeah. Corey Schneider and Taylor Hall. But, we'll talk about that later in our Metro Division yes, breakdown. Right. But, yeah, that's that. I mean, he was their big offseason acquisition, and, my gosh, they gave up Adam Larson. Yeah, yeah I don't know how they pulled that off. I don't <laughs> even know how they're winning games without Adam Larson. But uh, I just used the word gosh, by the way. You did. I was just going to let it slide Thank you. and yeah. then highlight it in post-production, but... Uh, since you since you pointed it out, I think we need to kind of have a moment and think about it. Uh, Stamkos, with this injury, I, I almost like you said, I feel worse for him than Tampa because the Lightning can carry on. They did it last year. They almost they almost went to the Stanley Cup without Stephen Stamkos last year. They really did. So to to not have him during the regular season, I think they will be fine ultimately. But it is, you know, I was driving over here and I was thinking about this, like Stamkos is now to the point where he's missing just a ton of time of his career. You brought up the point a couple weeks ago with Crosby. How, how concerned are you with, with the, the head injuries and how much time he's missed in his career? This is sadly becoming a trend with some of the best players in the NHL. They're missing a lot of time, with the exception of Ovechkin, who I think is actually a tank. <laughs> yes, an armored tank. Yes. He may be, but really, I was thinking about this earlier. This feels like this, this is the defining storyline of this season so far. It's the season of injuries. Yeah. It's, and you never want to see that. You never want to see the marquee players out of the game. Another thought I had on this, though, and have, having uh, my Blackhawk background is, given Steven Stamkos' timeline for return, in terms of cap management, this could really work in the Lightning's favor. <laughs> you remember what the Blackhawks did with Patrick Kane? Yes. Was, 
miraculously ready for game one of the playoffs. But he gave them all sorts of cap relief because of his injury. So they went out and got Antoine Vermet. They went out and got Kimo Tima. And they, they actually added to their roster. Kimo Tima didn't, didn't add a lot. But they were no. able to do some things, add some pieces that they would not have been able to do otherwise under the cap. I could see a similar scenario playing out here for Steven Stamkos, and it could really help the Lightning get over the top. No, it's possible. And look, I mean, for, if, if he's only out for the four months, let me do some quick math here on the fly, that has him ready for just about the start of the playoffs, maybe even a little bit earlier so he can have a couple games to ramp up. Maybe it's five. Well, yeah, maybe December, January, months. February, March. So he'd need to stay out five months, right, just into April, which, yeah. you know. Yeah, which uh, they're not ruling that out. They said Steven Stamkos is skating, but no timeline yet on his return. No timeline, no time. He'll be back for game one. Those grainy pictures that they'll yeah. be showing. <laughs> on like TSN of him skating and nobody around him. Like, sorry, Steve. It's like he's pitching a no hitter. He's ready for game one of the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, but he's he's good to go against Montreal tonight. Mm-hmm. So that that's the the biggest injury news. But Taylor Hall is a big deal. Johnny Gaudreau is a big deal as well. Oof, especially for a team that just can't score at all. They've well, got twelve goals in their last nine games. Which one? They, I mean, New Jersey's the same way. Yeah, they don't score either. Calgary. Yeah, you, you're right about that. You're right. They both in the same situation. Calgary has twelve goals in its last nine games. They won two in a row somehow. Yeah. One nothing and two one. That's how. But to lose your top scorer, I mean this team. This team is already in a tough situation, and that's not going to help. Yeah, if you look at the standings, Calgary. I think I don't know if they would be viewed as a disappointment right now. I think the three of us. When there, there used to be three of us on the show. That's why it's called the natural hat trick, not the natural uh, two goals and an wow. assist. I just dropped Barbara Streisand on you. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> and I don't then, even know that was in there somewhere. And then identified it yes. so that all of us who didn't know it was Barbara Streisand now know. Thanks. We're going to have to cut that out in post-production, too. I do a Barbara Streisand impersonation, actually, but not for now. Yeah, wait, what? My mom was a big fan. Well, that's going to come up. You, you should really move on now. Repeatedly on this I've show. I've embarrassed myself. <laughs> so, you've opened the door for future embarrassments, too. I don't know if Calgary's considered a disappointment. I, we all had the expectation that they would uh, maybe sneak into the playoffs this year. Now, it's early. It's not like they are, what are they? They're three points out of third place in the Pacific Division. I mean, it's still very early. All, even, even the teams at the bottom of the standings aren't out of it, math-wise. But they're not generating anything. I, I talked to Brad Trilliving about this the other day, and... Even after they won that game, they won one nothing. You know, before they beat the Coyotes last night. <laughs> you know, was, to be honest, I was texting with them and said, "Well, hey, maybe this is the the roadmap for you guys. If you can't score, you just shut them out." Yeah. His response was, "I guess not an oil painting." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know a whole lot of uh, GMs that are excited to to try and grind out one nothing and two one wins unless you have Carey Price as your goalie. Because right now, Chad Johnson's been the guy. It hasn't even been Brian Elliott for the Flames. Uh, it, it is a big deal for Calgary because that division, I think, is still wide open in terms of yeah, making the playoffs. That's true. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> with Edmonton coming back to the pack a little bit, which we expected anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I expect San Jose to win this division still. I still think they're the best team here. But Anaheim is always around it, at least. They, they look like they're okay. Right now, nobody's out of this. Even the Coyotes, if they can put together any kind of run, which we'll get to later. Coyotes... <laughs> It's so hard to get a read on them, too, and you're right, we'll get to them in a second. They've played so many less games than everybody else that if they just, they've got two or three games in hand on everybody, if they go 2-0-1 in those three games, they're in fourth in the division. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. I don't understand why the schedule is so unbalanced. They're not the only team that has played less games, and some teams have played way more than everybody else. It's, it is strange. But yeah, that's a big deal to the Flames, obviously. Johnny Gaudreau has emerged, not just this year, but 
specifically this year because nobody else is scoring as, as the clear best player on that team, which I don't know that you could have said that for sure a year ago. I think Sean Monaghan was right there with him. Yeah, he's struggling mightily right now. And then for New Jersey, um, the, the Devils are only a point out of second in the Metro Division. And I don't know if I said this to you last week or if I said it to somebody off air. Everything's a blur during hockey season. If you're in the Metropolitan Division, which, by the way, we're going to go through the Metro here uh, later on in the show today, and we are going to just give a quick synopsis of maybe something each team needs to work on, if anything. I don't know. We're going to have a hard time trying to figure out what the Rangers need to work on, but we'll go through that. I won't at all, actually. Oh, well, that's good because you were in charge of it. And then um, we're also going to debut a new segment that I don't even really know what to say about it yet because I don't know what's going to happen. So we'll just stay tuned for that. That'll be at the very end of the show. But... uh, New Jersey's only a point behind Pittsburgh and Washington, and my thought all along was, if you're not the Rangers, Capitals, or Penguins, are you just playing for a wild card in the Metro Division? New Jersey's right there, but the problem is they are a two-man team, essentially, and one of those two men is now out for a month. Yeah, I don't see this lasting. It's just too, like you said before, it's just too early. Yeah, I think these uh, two packs will separate in that division eventually. But they could be at the top of the bottom pack because the bottom pack in that division is probably going to be five teams sure but it hurts not having taylor hall because without knowing the exact percentage i'll just go ahead and make the blatant assumption that he accounts for about 80 percent of their goals (laughs) on some level i mean that was certainly the case earlier this season he either had a goal or an assist and pretty much four out of every five of their goals that, that number's gone down a little bit but you get the point they brought him in to be their offense and he has been all of their offense and they don't have a sean monahan or a Matthew Kachuk on coming up, or even a blue line like Calgary has with Mark Giordano and TJ Brody and Dougie Hamilton. None of them are producing offense right now, but they have in the past. Nobody on New Jersey's blue line has ever produced anything. You're stealing all my New Jersey thunder, here, by the way. We're diving so deep in the Devils right now, I'm not going to have anything left to talk about. I mean, really, there's Corey Schneider, and, and where do I go from there anyway? But you're just stealing all my thunder here. I, I didn't know you had New Jersey thunder. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's probably not thunder. I'll come up with a different term, okay. but let's move on. Or is that a Barbra Streisand song? <laughs> no? Stealing my okay. New Jersey thunder? <laughs> All right. Uh, the Olympics. The the story that I feel like this story's been going since 10 years before we started this podcast last year. Gut feeling. Gut feeling is they go. They're going to have they to. They always go. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know what? I flipped on this, though. I, I used to be, yeah, I want to see the best players compete for Olympic gold, blah, 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 blah. I'm so tired of it now. I've decided I don't even want pro players there anymore. I want it to be amateurs. I want it to go back. It was so much more exciting for me, and maybe it was just because I was a kid or I was younger when the amateurs were there, and you're, you know, except for the Russians, of course, who who were not amateurs. Who do what they do. <laughs> but the Olympics are nowhere near as interesting to me with the best players in the world competing. I know what's going to happen, and you did then, too, probably for the most part. You knew the Soviet Union was going to win, but... It was it was a cooler storyline trying to overcome that, and now it's just it's the same few teams that have the chance to win every year, right? It's and you can you can you can really you can really handicap it every year. If Canada doesn't win this thing, it's a big surprise to everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would say that. I mean, especially if you send the NHLers. If you go, I don't know. I, I guess I really haven't given this much thought in the last couple of years, just because I sort of always assumed that the World Cup was being put together so that the NHL could eventually pull out of the Olympics. But there's so many players that are just saying, I'm going. If my country selects me, chief among them, Alex Ovechkin. So 
at the NHL at some point, are you just going to have those players leave in the middle of the season and keep playing regularly scheduled games, or are you just going to acknowledge what's happening and take the two week break? Yeah, and that's the thing. And and I get that. I get both sides of this. You know, the first of all, can we talk about the the NHLPA saying they're willing to go in exchange for extending the collective bargaining agreement for an undetermined length of time? That's weird to me, first of all. But I, I guess that means that the players are happy with their share and, and how things are working out, which is in and of itself somewhat questionable, right? But then when you talk about the, you know, the, the NHL wants the IOC to keep paying the, the travel costs, the insurance costs, the accommodation costs, and they're balking now, and, and I see both sides of this. The NHL's like, look, we're stopping our whole season. Yeah. We're just stopping our business so the players can come over and play in that tournament. We need some sort of compensation for that. But on the flip side, it's the Olympics. It's a big deal. We don't need to compensate you. You get the honor of participating in the Olympics. So I'm torn on that. I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but it's a, it's a tough argument for me. It, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly down the middle on it, too, because I certainly see the league and the owner's stance when a guy like John Tavares gets hurt and is basically done for the season, and the Islanders have never been the same since. I mean, right. John, John Tavares has been fine since, but that team, you recall a couple of years ago, leading up to those Olympics, the Islanders were a team that gave the Penguins a run in the first round of the playoffs that year, and they looked like they were on the way up. Next year, Tavares gets hurt, and he misses the season, so they get derailed for a year, and then that team, for whatever reason, just couldn't bounce back. That's one specific example, but if I'm an NHL GM or an NHL owner, I'm basically holding my breath for two weeks sure. every four February. And they acknowledge that. I, I think most people are okay with that, especially from a coaching and player standpoint. I think they all get that. That's always a danger whenever you step on the ice, and yeah, it, It'd be awful if you lose one of your assets when they're not even performing for your business. That's that's a bad situation. But again, it's the Olympics. It's it's special. It's not the World Cup of hockey, right? Where, well, yeah, where you're you're losing a guy to what exactly? And then if you're going to go to the Olympics, why have the World Cup of hockey? I mean, I I, I really firmly, and I'm not saying you like can this. Make lots of money off it, like they did this year. <laughs> you pronounce that city in South Korea, by the way. Seoul? No, where the Olympics will be. Is it? Oh, I thought it was... Play Yongjing. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, now everyone knows. One more time. Play Yongjing. You guys say that at home. Go ahead. I'm not going to try. <laughs> that's that's going to be the name of this this uh, week's episode, I'm sure. It We're sounds like Pai Yongjing to me. Yeah. Let's, let's put them all together more quickly. Well, we've got, what, two years to figure it out, basically? Okay. okay. Good. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I For the last... Honestly, since the last Olympics, when they started talking about the World Cup, I thought the World Cup was going to come into play so they wouldn't do the Olympics anymore. Now it's pretty clear they're going to have to do the Olympics, so then do you get rid of the World Cup for another 12 years and then bring it back? I don't know. I can't uh, imagine that happening. Can you, with the money they made off at this time? I, no, I just can't see no. that happening. And it would be weird to have that and then get rid of it after one year. <laughs> right. And plus it made Canada feel good about themselves. It so sure you, did. you have to have that that's too. too. Uh, it would be... Interesting along your your sort of rant there of of not having the the professionals at the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I find the World Juniors a little more a lot more compelling than the World Cup was, just yep. because there is some variance. Yes, Canada should still win, but Sweden's right there. The U.S. is is as successful as Canada in the World Juniors. If you go back to 2010, the U.S. has more gold medals than Canada. Uh, it's just it's a different team every year. It's always it's generally the U.S., Canada, Sweden, Finland, or Russia. But hey, that's five legitimate contenders instead of Canada. That's a good point, too, in terms of predictability. When the rosters are turning over constantly, except for Russia, it's, it's fun to watch, right? And, and there's, there's, there's sort of this raw thrill of competition that you don't get 
I don't want to say NHL players are jaded, but it is a profession. There's there's a different element that comes into play when you're talking about amateurs or young guys like this. It, it just feels different. It, it feels more real to me. Maybe maybe I'm just overlaying some sort of journalist veneer over the whole thing that doesn't really exist. Journalist veneer, wow. We could call the episode that That's today. pretty solid. But that, that, that's just how I feel. It's my personal feelings. There, there, there's a side of me that would like to go back to that. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I will say this, though, on the flip side. If I was an NHL player and I was asked to play for Team USA, I would realize instantly that that means I'm not one of the U.S.'s best players because I was asked to go. But, uh, no, if I was asked to play for Team USA, I would be like, screw you guys and your journalistic veneer. I'm going to go play for (laughs) my country. So I I get both sides, uh, but it doesn't really matter what side you're on because I think they're going back. Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, you got to like what they're doing so far. Can they sustain it? I don't know. I wrote about this today um, at FanRag Hockey. You can read that story if you'd like. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's Talk not to a couple, slap shot. I, I, two, two of I my favorite NHL analysts, site. Mike Johnson and Ray Ferraro, with some good thoughts on that. You know, you look at the Blackhawks right now. They obviously have a core of players who understands how to win. That's 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 without question, right? If, if only somebody on this show had predicted them to go to the Stanley Cup this yeah, year. Yeah, well, enough. here's the thing, though. Their PDOs, it's dropped a little bit. It's 1.027, still one of the highest in the league. Can that sustain? Can Corey Crawford keep playing the way he's playing 5-on-5? Five five? Because right now he's he's keeping pace with Carey Price in his 5-on-5 five five save percentage, which is, yeah, that's rarefied air. He's not going to do that. Can Marion Hosa keep this up at age 37, or is he going to wear down and suddenly like have five goals over the last three months where they slide? Can they keep this up without much production from their third and fourth lines, which they're really not getting something from them right now. It's it's their stars that are leading them, and you like to see that. But, again, the depth issues that we talked about at the start of the season, they're not getting much production. Tyler Mott's out of the lineup now, which hurts even more. I can't decide how I feel about them. You know, both Ferraro, well, Ferraro in particular said to me, look, with Joel Quenville teams, what you get in September and October is not what you get in April. Yeah. He is tinkering, constantly tinkering. And the luxury he has now, because this team went through a stretch where it banked 20 of 22 possible points, is he can tinker a little longer. Yeah, you basically, that's a great way to put it. You've bought Joel Quenville more time to just, he's just ramping up for the playoffs. And now he's got five months to ramp up for the playoffs. He knows they're going to be there. And he's going to, especially with a team with a lot more younger players this year that they had to mix in, it's probably better for him that he has extra time to make sure he finds the best roles for everybody so they hit their stride in April. I know it looks like they've hit their stride right now, but to your point, Craig, can Corey Crawford maintain what he's doing? Can Marion Hosted maintain what he's doing? My, my question to answer your question would be, I don't think Crawford keeps this up, but if he just takes a little bit of a step back, they'll still win games. Same with Hosted. If he takes a little bit of and, and then to flip it, if they start getting production from the third and fourth line, that'll yeah. make up for Hosa. What, come, what happens come playoff time, though, if you're not getting that? Pro- yeah, you, you need that production. And I think I, I agree with both both Ray and Mike Johnson on this one. Tyler Mott's a guy who could, by the end of the season, really be a contributor. So if he's playing on a third line with Marcus Kruger and Andrew Desjardins, guys who've had success have been a, a good line, that might be a good third line. If Marion Hosa can continue to do what he's doing on the second line or you know some proximity of that, and that, that allows you to play him with, with Artemi Panarin and, and, and Artem Anisimov. And Patrick Kane's up on the top line with Jonathan Taves, whoever the heck is playing left wing on that line. I, I don't really care at no. that point. Joel Quenville could play left wing on right. that line. 
maybe they're okay. Maybe you can get by with not quite as much depth if you're getting enough contributions from those guys. It's a lot of ifs. And again, they still, right now, it's still a team with three defensemen. Brian Campbell is still trying to find his way back into this mix. Hasn't been as productive or good as they thought he would be. But another thing that Ray said to me yesterday, watch Gustav Forsling. He, he said, that was a steal of a trade from Vancouver. He's going to be a terrific player. He'll be able to run their power play. This kid is really good. So they might have found another piece for their blue line by the end of the season as well. So again, almost, a lot of ifs. Almost not fair to rip off Vancouver if you're Chicago. That's, uh, that's just... They did it so many times in the playoffs. Yeah, right? well, yeah. Oh, oh, that that's, that's uncalled for. Uh, just to be clear, so everybody doesn't think you've lost your mind, when you say they might be okay, you mean might be one of the final four teams standing. Yeah, that's, and that's, They're going well, to be okay. But that's, that's the lens you always have to view the Blackhawks no, through now, right? They've won three championships. So is this still... I mean, my ultimate question was, is this still a legitimate cup contender? And both guys said absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I... Well, you know my feelings on them. They're on the very short list of legitimate cup contenders. Very uh, few teams have a lack of holes, right? Every, everybody's got some kind of holes. Everybody Pittsburgh has was a pretty complete team last year, but you could still probably poke holes in that blue line. Oh, yeah. To, so. That blue line overachieved last yeah, year. Yeah, I think it did. So. You, you look in the Western Conference, everybody in the Pacific has holes, everybody in the Central, even the Central, everybody in the Central has holes. Chicago has the least, and, oh, by the way, they ratcheted up about 500% when April hits. So they're going to get better as the season goes on. You don't know that for sure uh, with everybody else, although I will say this. They would do well to not play Winnipeg in a best-of-seven series because they cannot beat the Jets. It's the it weirdest weird. thing in yeah, the history like of the some, world. Sometimes there's matchup stuff. And by the way, I mean, we're not going to talk about that now, but Mark Scheifele is a story to watch this season. He has raised his game to another level. Now he's going to have to do this for a little while longer before I pronounce him one of those franchise no, centers. I, but he no, is, I wanted to ask you about that. on the door. Because I knocking on the door. I was going to write the story about a month ago, and then instead I wrote it last week. And as I'm writing it, you know my contention. Mark Scheifele, I think, is one of my – and my story said this too, but I, I, I know I've said it on the show before. I know I've said it to you off the air. You're probably tired of me saying it, actually. I think he is arguably the most underrated star in the NHL. I felt that way coming into this year. If you look at his production, every single year it has gone up significantly. Every year. He got drafted in 2011, and so – he didn't instantly play what he played 11 games over his first two years. So it was kind of like, yeah, it was a really high pick. At the time, the Jets slash Thrashers didn't have all the prospects they have now. So they were putting a lot of stock in him developing, and they took their time with him. Every year since he's gotten into the NHL, his production's gone way up. I was going to write it at the start of the year. I probably should have because now he leads the entire NHL in points. And I'll tell you what, Craig, he's got the size that he's, he's not just going to get pushed around. I think he's knocking on the door of, of legitimate number one center status. I'm not saying Winnipeg's going to win the Stanley Cup. You're but talking it, franchise center, like rarefied air in the, that, that conversation. I think he is, too. I think he is. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I mean, again, you have to sustain this. You can't just be a flash in the pan that fades. Or but he's been doing one it. Season. He's been but, doing but, it for two but, years. But really. I'm talking about, like, the upper level. Yes. You know, he, he's been a very good player, but can he, can he jump into that final very select class of centers in this league, and right now he's he's been doing it. And I think too, it's it's worth pointing out. You and I have a slightly different definition of what we look for from a center. Yeah, yours is more lenient. What <laughs> is? Because I, I think you, you correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're looking for a guy that can win you a Stanley Cup. Yep. I'm looking for a guy that you can win a Stanley Cup with. So I don't think Mark Scheifele is going to. Let's just say somebody from the future landed in this studio right now. Possibly Jamie because he's not here. So maybe he's in the future. <laughs> 
and and they said to you, the Winnipeg Jets win the Stanley Cup in 2019. That, to me, doesn't mean Mark Scheifele leads that team in goals. It's probably Line A. Uh, There's more areas to lead than just in goals. Yes. Right. But I think he I mean, does. Jonathan Taves. He's like a 60-point guy, that's, right? That's 60 more. 65-point guy, but he's... He is the engine that drives that team. And that's more what I see Shifley as. I'm not saying he's going to be Jonathan Taves. I just think he can be in that mold. And, yes, when you start... I, I think he is definitely a team that a Stanley Cup contender could win the Stanley Cup with. The Jets aren't winning the Stanley Cup this year or next year or whatever. But if he were on the Capitals, I think they'd be better off. If he were on oh, yeah. the Rangers, they'd be better off. And they yeah, would be legitimate team, teams. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Shifley. I have been for a couple years. Again, look at his production. What was it? 2013-14, he plays 63 games, 34 points. Then 49 points the next year. Then last year, 29 goals and 61 points. This year, 21 points already and in 18 games. a point games. a game per player. Yeah, point per game player. And, which is, and it just keeps going up. I mean, it was trending this way before the season. So, yeah, yeah that's he's somebody to keep an eye on. And I, if you ask people that aren't watching real close and you just described, hey, you know, a, a first-round pick leading a young Canadian team uh, potentially into the playoffs, he leads the NHL in points, everybody's going Connor to say McDavid. Connor McDavid, yeah. Or they might, they might say Austin Matthews. They might even, if they're really paying attention, they might say Patrick Laine, maybe. But they're not saying Mark Scheifele, and that's the answer. Speaking of franchise centers, oh, all right, shifting to the local team. Okay. Tough tough situation for Dylan Strom right now. It's He's frustrating. played just six of the Coyotes' first 15 games, and as I wrote about in Craigslist uh, this past Sunday, he's stuck in limbo. Yeah, this is everything that's wrong with that. Yes, with the CHL-NHL agreement. CHL-NHL agreement, yeah. There is no provision that allows him to play in the AHL. In a perfect world, and Dave Tippett is on the record as saying it, that's where he'd be right now. He's, they're, they're of the opinion that he has nothing to gain from juniors. In fact, might gain some bad habits. Maybe, you know, maybe he goes back late in the season for a quick stint so he can just get some playing time. Maybe some confidence back. Yeah. But, it, it, again, as I wrote there, it, that's seen as a regressive step for this for him. And at this point, the NHL is too big a step for Dylan Strome. He's 19 years old. They'd love to get him in pro hockey games, but they can't because of this crazy agreement that's still in place. It's a uh, It's a joke. I mean, you and I have talked about this on this show before. Now it really hits home because that's the local team for us, so we're seeing it firsthand. But <sighs> Okay. Basically, the, the agreement is the CHL wants their best players, which I get, and that's fine. And the NHL gets something out of this too, right? They get, it's not free development because they do pay the CHL a, a fee, but it doesn't amount to those entry-level deals. So yeah. they get really cheap development of their players. True. And they, they get to keep them under contract, right? They don't burn a year of their contract. Absolutely. But in a case like this, how about we just simplify this very much? Here's a player that was the number three pick in one of the best drafts in recent memory. He's only 19, so now he's going to start to get the scrutiny of, hey, why aren't you doing what Connor McDavid does? He's a teenager. He's got time to develop. Except, oh, wait, he has to just sit around for a year in arguably the most important developmental year of his career. <laughs> yeah, the system's working great. Exactly, and it's who loses uh, here, Dylan Strome. It's the player, and and that, as I said, it, it happens too often, right? It, it's yeah. business, right? So it's going to be about, going to be about revenue first and foremost, and and there there are sides of this for both the CHL and the NHL that work in their favor. I even spoke to Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, and he said basically, look, there's there's no movement to change this agreement. It's been in place for forty years. We both get a lot out of it, 
every year it seems to come up as an isolated case or two where one team is complaining about it because of a player they'd like to have in the AHL, but the GMs have shown absolutely no compunction to change this rule. Compunction? I just dropped another one. That's veneer and veneer compunction. compunction. This is getting out of control. We need Jamie here to make short one-syllable words more popular on the show again. It's, uh, I understand people look at it and they say, there's going to be this view of like, well, he's just he's too good for the minors, but not good enough for the NHL. That's not the story here. The story here is he's a 19-year-old player that has elite-level talent. He was the third pick in the draft, and it wasn't like the Coyotes reached with the third pick in the draft. Everybody had him going as the third or fourth pick in the draft, however, if you needed a center yep. or a winger with Mitch Marner. And it doesn't mean he's done yet. I know, I know there are no. Coyote fans out there are panicking, and there's, look, there's some legitimacy to saying, ah, gosh, you wish he could have stepped in and shown more, but... You can't give up on a 19-year-old hockey player yet. That's That would be insanity. He's way too young, has way too much development to give up on him yet. But the problem is he's not getting to develop. Right. I mean, the Coyotes are doing everything they can to get him in every couple games. And I, I talked to Dylan. with staff, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and he certainly, as you pointed out, Dave Tippett has said that. Uh, it, it makes logical sense. Dylan said it as well. He's, he's like, he was, I interviewed him before one of the games he played, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm getting something out of being around this team. These guys are my brothers. I get to I get to practice every day with an NHL team. I get to work out. Yeah, I think, and this is me now jumping back in, I think there's more value to that than him playing in junior this year. But I know there's that argument of, well, just put him in the NHL. It's just baptism by fire. He'll learn quickly. No, he can learn bad habits if he's not ready for the NHL. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like you're working out and you're trying to lift weight that is too heavy for you at that point, and then you just you have bad form or whatever just to make sure you don't get hurt lifting the weight. Not to mention what it does to your confidence. And so many people, I, you, you get a lot of this from fans who don't understand the entire process and think that, yeah, that's the solution. Just throw them in. Let the kid play. What could happen? Well, his confidence could be shattered. Yes. He, he, he could develop bad habits. Most, most, I'd be most concerned about his confidence. If he's not succeeding when you're throwing him in, that could really hurt the kid's confidence. That's and and you have to trust. Now, granted, there have been some mistakes in the past, but you have to trust your coaching staff, your evaluation staff, that they are doing the right thing, and they are so much closer to this situation than anybody on the outside who's throwing out these random opinions of what the Coyotes should do. Sorry, your opinions are uninformed. You don't know what you're talking about, so drop that stuff right now. Wow. Trust the process. If it fails, then you can point fingers, but you don't know. But, Isn't that a, a football? Was that uh, which football coach was that? Well, trust the process is a Philadelphia 76ers no, player. You think you know, but you don't no. know. It sounds like something and Herm Edwards would will. say, but I don't think I don't think it was. Maybe it was Herm. I don't know. Uh, I usually ended that sentence with a compunction too to really drive the point <laughs> home. Compunctuation. It, it's just. It's not fair to Dylan Strom. Like no, you said, he's not. not the only example, but it's it is difficult to watch. And look, with the Coyotes, uh, you know, you can use them as an example. Max Domi, when he first got drafted, to me, looked more ready to play in the NHL than Strom does right now. And it's not a knock on Strom. And yet they sent Domi down twice, and he evolved his game exponentially, and he became, what, the captain of Team Canada when they won the World Juniors. And people and, will say, okay, well then why can't you just send Dylan Strom back? Because they're different, different situations. Yeah. They're evaluating those situations. They have their reasons. No, they have not made all of those public, but they're seeing some things in his game or his makeup that make them think juniors would not be as good for him. On the flip side, imagine Dylan Strom being in Tucson right now with the way that team is playing, lighting it up down oh, there. It would be great. Building confidence, playing in a winning environment, 
and playing his first year of pro hockey in that environment. It would be so good for him, but he doesn't have that opportunity. And he would get called up to the NHL, too, yes, occasionally. He'd his, yeah, he'd get his looks like, like he's getting right now. And you build that level of confidence at that level. Jordan Martinook is a great example. I don't know how many people outside of the Western Conference are going to know his name right off the top of the bat, but he is somebody that is right near the top of the Coyote scoring list right now, spent a couple years in the AHL, was a great scorer in, in the, uh, the WHL, and then wasn't asked to be a scorer at the NHL level last year, but he attributes all of his success, and he's having quite a bit of it now as a second-year player, to spending a couple years in the AHL and just going through those rigors. He just, it's... I don't know why I keep using weightlifting analogies because you can see me. I'm obviously not a bodybuilder. But <laughs> sending Dylan Strome back to, to junior this year, hey, Dylan, just go put up another 120 points for Erie, is right. basically play, like... Play mid and a half shifts. Don't worry about defense. Don't worry about all the details yeah. of the game. And that will help your development. Honestly, it will. Because Against players, you're a lot better certain than... those coaches down there will work on the same things that the Coyotes want you to work on in understanding their system. This is all the stuff that you just like people tell you, oh, he should go back to junior. Do you not think about all these details when you're saying that? It would be like, hey, you've been working out for a year. Why don't you go down and just and lift a the bench press 50 pounds for the next year? That's really going to help you. You're going to get bored, and you're not going to develop. You have to, you have to find that balance where you're challenging your young players but not putting them in situations where they can't succeed. And the confidence thing, I can, already, I can, I can take the other side that you're going to hear when you say that. Who's professional athlete? You should always be confident. <sighs> Yeah, that's fine. I'm, I don't think Dylan Strome is crying himself to sleep at night. I think he's plenty confident, but if you want him to be at his best, he's got to have that edge. Yeah, but, it, and again, if you talk to pro athletes and ask them, have there been points in your career where your confidence was hurt by your play? Every one of them will answer oh, yes. yeah, absolutely. So the, the knee-jerk, well, he's a pro athlete, he should always be confident. That's just not what happens. It's not reality. If you want it to be reality, great, but it isn't reality. If you put him out there against a bunch of adult league hockey players, yes, his confidence would show through. He's playing against other professional athletes, so why would you take any little edge away from a player against other professional athletes? He's not just playing against random people in the community. They all are confident. Going back to what you said, it's a coach's job to put players, as I said about uh, Michel Therrien when he elected to leave uh, Al Montoya in for 10 goals. <laughs> it's one of coaches' primary jobs is to put players in a position to succeed. The Coyotes are trying to do that with Dylan Strome. That's what's at play here, but they don't have all the options at their disposal. But the bottom line is that CHL-NHL agreement's not changing anytime soon. So we're going to have this story with somebody that isn't on the Coyotes next year, so just get ready for it about 12 months from now when it's it might be somebody on your team. How exciting is that? Uh, Brian Bickle, do you want to talk about this situation? Well, I wanted to talk about one other thing with the Coyotes before okay. we get on to that because they, they obviously lost a tough game in Calgary last night against a team that had been struggling to score, only scored two goals. So you have a 1-0 lead going to the third period. You're thinking, hey, maybe they get it here. Maybe they climb back into the pack at least. But right now they're sitting dead last in the Western Conference and NHL standings. And I can't help thinking, Luke, wouldn't it be so like the Coyotes to finish with the worst record this season, get the number one pick, that everybody wanted the last two years for Connor McDavid or Austin Matthews and end up with a good center. Nolan Patrick is the consensus number one pick. A big kid, a two-way kid, but pretty much pegged as a number two center in this league. Yeah, well, it would be so like their luck for yeah. that to happen. Uh, I, I still don't, and this is a much deeper conversation than we need to get into, I guess, on this podcast today, but... As I said earlier, if you look at the standings, if they win two in a row, they've got games in hand on every team. All of a sudden, they're 18th in the NHL. I mean, it's, it's, it's still very early 
So if you just go by standings, yeah, win a couple games, you vault up 10 spots. You, you move right up in the Pacific Division up into fourth place if you win two in a row. However, watching the games, they're missing something up front right now. Now, it's it's a strange stat. They've lost 10 games this season, six of them by one goal, as you tweeted out last and night. And another, that was an empty netter against Jersey, yeah. so that was really a one-goal game, too. Yeah, it really well, I mean, for evaluation purposes, that was a one-goal game, and it was an empty netter that went off the official, basically, <laughs> into the nets. So uh, they... they if you look at their, their last eight games, they're 4-4, four and four, and basically every time they lose a game, it's a one-goal game. They're in all of these games with 30 seconds left, but something's missing up front. Now, they've been playing without Martin Hansel until last night. They've been playing without Mike Smith, who is their number one goalie. Most teams can't absorb that and just be like, hey, we're going to be fine. Yeah. So they're going to be better as this season goes, but they need to score more. Yeah, they do, and again, I think it starts at the center position. What are they getting from the center position? Look, Martin Hansel came back and assumed the number one center role on this team, which he's probably not suited for. He should be your number two. He's a really good number two. And even though he came back, Dave Tibbet still elected to keep Jordan Martinuk at center, yeah. which is a testament to how versatile and how great Jordan Martinuk has been, but also what a problem area this position still is because neither Christian Dvorak or Dylan Strom is ready to impact the game and impact your lineup. Which is frustrating, I think, for Coyotes fans. But then again, even with Dvorak, he's, what, 20? I mean, you got to remember, these guys aren't necessarily supposed to be ready just yet. They really aren't. But what's frustrating for Coyotes fans, and we've gone over this in the past, last two drafts have had, in my mind, four, four legitimate franchise-changing players, I think, when you, when you look at McDavid and Eichel and Matthews and Line. Now, I know only two, maybe three of those are legitimate franchise centers. But if you, if you threw Line on this team and you're like, this guy's going to get you 35 goals, it changes everything. It makes Max Domi better. It takes pressure off Anthony Duclair. He's not a center, but it changes everything. What's frustrating for the Coyotes is they have struggled for the last two years. They didn't get any of those players that can make an instant impact. Yeah. And that's okay. Clayton Keller shouldn't be ready. Dylan Strom doesn't necessarily need to be ready. But you saw four other teams basically get bailouts, Yep, and you didn't. No, that's, that's tough. true. That's true. You don't have anyone stepping into this lineup that looks dynamic right now, and that, other than maybe Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Chikrin's been great. On the front end, you're talking about, and, and I get that. And that, a couple couple points on what you just said. Domi's close. I yeah, think, he is. He and, is. And if you put Domi with a finisher, I think he becomes one of the best playmakers in the league. But Anthony Duclair has struggled this season, and as we mentioned with the other guys, the rookies, it's just... They're either a different type of player like Lawson Krauss or they're not quite ready. Yeah. But there, there's a thread out there that uh, the continuation of Jordan Martinuk at center is a an admission that they shouldn't have bought out Antoine Vermette. Um, to put it bluntly, no. They bought out <laughs> Antoine Vermette because he was giving them nothing last year. Nothing. Now, I know he's putting up some points, but they were going in a different direction. This is a rebuild. They are infusing different things into their lineup. There was no way they were going to keep Antoine Vermette. Okay, so just move on from that. I know they're losing face-offs because, well, they were when Martin Hansel was out, but they weren't going to keep Antoine Vermette. And there, there's no regret on the Coyotes' part that they made that decision. Secondly, Clayton Keller. We just talked about him. I know a lot of people think, well, wait, wait until Clayton Keller's ready. Clayton Keller is not a number one NHL center. He does not have the size to do all the things that a center has to do down low, all that kind of work, and match up with other guys. He's not going to be put in that position. So... People need to come to terms with that, too, that right now the Coyotes are still trying to figure out if they have even one number one center. Well, and you only need prospects. one. You, you only, only need, need one. one, yes. But they don't know if they have it yet. Is Keller somebody that they could feasibly 
it feels weird to ask a Coyotes question. Usually I get asked these. Is he somebody down the line, though? I, th- I feel like it's acceptable to ask Craig Morgan a Coyotes question, that they could potentially move to a wing down the line because sure. he is a dynamic player. Absolutely. I, I, I think they might. I think they might. And I think... Or he's going to play down your lineup. If he's going to stay at center, he's got to play down your lineup. See, I don't want him playing down the lineup. Yeah, you want him having ice time. Because he is a special talent. When you watch him play... Yeah, he's seen some of the goals he scored. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's filthy. But again, it's at a different level. But, but, I mean, look, and I'm not comparing him to Patrick Laine, but if I'm going to sit here and say, I would have been fine with the Coyotes getting Patrick Laine in this past draft, I don't care if he's a center. He's a dynamic winger. If Keller can be 75% of that, and there are people that certainly believe that, and Laine is the highest bar you can set, in my mind, for a a winger to come out of the draft in the last couple years. If Keller can be that as a wing, 75% of that, that's a great pickup for the Coyotes. It doesn't solve the center situation, but it... You know, maybe he's a goal scorer, and maybe down the line he's on the power play with Max Domi. You make Domi better, who knows? But it's it's still some more waiting for the Coyotes right now. Yeah. This draft is going to be interesting too, isn't it? Because it's not it's not nearly as deep. I mean, I think there I think I read there was a consensus among scouts that there are only two players that were see, in this draft that were seen as legitimate top ten picks. Yeah, which is not a lot. Nolan Patrick is obviously one of those. The other is that Swedish defenseman. Tim, it's either Lilligren or Liljegren. I don't know how to. We'll, we'll ask Seth. Yeah, we, we have a guy who can pronounce that yeah. in, in a few minutes. But that's so. I mean, there's some. In some respects, it's probably good to be right at the top of this draft because you might not get anything out of it, or you just might get a role player. Well, but again, it's, it's it's not anywhere near as deep as the last two years, so it's sort of depressing if the Coyotes end up in that position. It's one of those uh, drafts where you've got to do your homework. And again, I'll go back to Mark Scheifele. He wasn't the first pick in his draft. That was the year that Ryan Nugent Hopkins was the first pick. Gabriel Landeskog, Jonathan Huberdeau, Adam Larson, Ryan Strom, Mika Zibanejad all went before Mark Scheifele. Do your homework and, and, and get, get, the, uh, get the best player in the draft if you can, whoever you are. Coyotes Arena. We've turned this into a very Coyote-centric show. We are going to get to the Metro, and we are going to news, I think. Yeah, this is kind of a big deal. And Craig was at the, the, the very center of this, so I'm going to let you talk here. Well, I think everybody knows the news by now, or the sort of news They're the that uh, the Coyotes have entered into an exclusive negotiating agreement with with Catellus, the Arizona State's developer for that that athletic district, um, where basically where the Karsten Golf Course is. They're going to survey the land. They have until the end of June next year to come up with the financing, the development plan, the architectural plans, and perhaps most importantly, the political plans to get this through. They're going to need. They, they've said that they're going to put in. They're going to be responsible for half of what is estimated at a $400 million project right now. They're going to get some money from ASU. There may be some private stake investors here as well, but there's going to be a public component that they'd like to come in the form of a sales tax rebate from sales tax generated within that district, whether it's from the arena, from a proposed hotel, from mixed land usage. They're going to need Arizona State Legislature approval to get that, and that's based on history. That's a tough mountain to climb because the state legislature doesn't really go down this road very often. Now, I know people are wondering, well, are they just starting this process? And in, in, in some intents, for some intents and purposes, you could say, why aren't they further along? It's been a couple of years now. You would think that they'd be a little farther along. But I do know that before the, the legislature broke last year, the session ended, they were pretty advanced in their discussions. Nobody's saying a heck of a lot of, of what was talked about, but they have had these discussions. So... We just let it play out at this point. There is a ton of work to do. The Coyotes obviously love this idea. I spoke to Ray Anderson, the athletic director at ASU. He loves the idea. He's always been in love with the idea of an arena 
on campus for all the things that it can create. You know, just a hub yeah. of activity, but you know, accessibility for the students. Having having ASU's arena right there, that adjacent four thousand seat arena that's also proposed next to this sixteen thousand two hundred seat arena. All of that, all the people that are involved love the idea. But again, there there are major hurdles to cross before this becomes a reality. Yeah, I, you you know more than nuts and bolts of this. I mean, I know I know a decent amount of this. Um, the three things I will just say, and I'll try to say them quickly, so we can move on past uh, Coyote stuff here for people outside of, uh, of Arizona. But it's a big deal because it's obviously an NHL team moving within its city and staying. Uh, the things I would say. A, the fact that both the Coyotes and ASU have now made this public, I think, is shows that there's been a lot of progress. They wouldn't, they wouldn't start and just ASU in particular. A, yeah, I mean, I went to ASU. You as, dealt as with ASU. Ray's, Ray's, Ray's direct quote there was, "You have to understand, we are very deliberate here." Yes, that's him saying, "We don't let this out if we don't feel good about it." That's yeah. Ray Anderson. So the simple fact that ASU is linked to this publicly and 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 they linked themselves to it publicly means this is advanced. Secondly, uh, you're right. Political stuff, <laughs> I've given up on trying to guess how politics are going to work out. Uh, yeah. But I will say this, uh, having ASU on board, I think, does really help the Coyotes. This isn't just a professional sports team trying to get a, a new arena. There's a lot of mitigating factors that are unique to this situation. And ASU just went D1. Uh, they've won some big games this year, but they're also playing some games at the Coyotes Arena out in, in Glendale. But most of their home games in a rink that's not big enough to hold the people that watch my adult league games. That's not an exaggeration. I've played there. That's where ASU, as a Division One, they need an arena. Thirdly, I just want to put this out there because I heard this, and Craig, you can certainly attest to it. Uh, I heard this on, on a national broadcast yesterday. They were talking, I believe, to Anthony LeBlanc, and the, the guy doing the interview said, well, you know, Anthony, how much of a difference can this really make? It's only 10 miles away from, from your current arena. Uh, not true. 10 miles? Who said that? The odometer on my car will tell you it's 37 miles both directions. <laughs> Speaking of that, I've, I've, I'm not calling anybody out. I'm not going to throw any, anyone in particular under the bus. But I've I've read so many factual errors on this story appearing. Whether Who cares about facts? Yeah, whether, it, whether it's uh, U.S. media or Canadian media. I've read actual factual errors in stories, and it's it's dumbfounding to me. I mean, we all make mistakes. We do. We all make mistakes as journalists, but there's some... Pretty big points that have been missed here, and it, it's surprising to me. I would just say, having been very close to this process for the last few years, it's it's been kind of a, an eye opener for me. And look, you know, I'm I'm somebody. You and I talk on this show about all 30 teams, and I write about pretty much all 30 teams at different points. I don't know everything about all 30 teams. If you want the absolute details, especially on something off the ice. I think on the ice, we're all, you know, we talk to people, we watch the games closely, we can do a lot more than that. But if, if, if the Islanders are moving to a new arena and you want the, the true details on it, talk to people who live in Brooklyn or Long Island, not people that live in Toronto or Vancouver or Arizona. Talk to the people in the actual city because that, that, that was the one that got me. Oh, it's a 10-mile drive. No, it's a 37-mile drive, and there's only one freeway that can get you through downtown Phoenix. And oh, by the way, there's like 6 million people here. So your 10-mile drive can be a two-and-a-half-hour drive. That's not an exaggeration on a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we did our summer series, when we were previewing all the teams, I think it was pretty clear the direction we went when we looked for 
experts. Now, yes. look, there's there's a lot of great things to be said about national media, but if you want to dive down into the details of each particular team and really understand all the nuts and bolts, you have to go to the beat writers. Especially off the ice stuff. You have to go to the local reporters because they have all the relationships locally. It's not just, okay, I've talked to one or two people. They have nuance. They have so many fine points that they understand, many of which don't even make it into print or on the broadcast, but they have a real understanding of the lay of the land that you're not going to get from national reporters. And they don't even necessarily bring it up all the time because it is second nature to them. They're yeah, living it's it. It's their job. It's their gig. It's, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. Just, that, uh, yeah, just, a, just a, <laughs> as long as we're talking about this slightly in the political vein, know who credible sources are. Know who the experts are. Be, learn how to identify the people that are best to talk about certain topics. That was Journalistic Veneer with, with mm-hmm. Craig Morgan. <laughs> I like it. It could be another segment. Let's uh, let's hit the metro real quick before we bring on uh, Sebastian. Oh, Carter. I can't wait for this segue. Well, okay. Washington Pittsburgh played last night. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw the tweet. The Washington threw out there. Yes, Washington played last night. <laughs> Pittsburgh watched. Uh, the Penguins throw out the tweet, which you know, whatever you think about social media, it's it's very uh, non-Penguins to do something like this. But I thought it was kind of funny. They said, "Hey, the Penguins Capitals both raising banners tonight," and they showed the Capitals raising their Metro Division banner and the Penguins uh, raising the Stanley Cup banner. It was next to another Stanley Cup banner. It was next to another Stanley Cup banner. <laughs> Capitals responded. Uh, their their response to social media really wasn't that good. Their response on the ice was fantastic, seven to one over the Penguins. So yeah. that'll. Uh, That'll bring us into. Did Obi actually run the goaltender on that? <laughs> it was. It was. It was. It was the perfect image, the, the perfect visual for that game. Actually, it was. And uh, I don't know where you come out on the Crosby Ovechkin rivalry. If if we just everybody just step back and just let that be a rivalry, it's a great rivalry. They respect each other. They don't dislike each other. I don't need to see the footage of Sidney Crosby from ten years ago saying that's the way he plays, and I don't like it. That was ten years ago. Yeah, they respect each other. It's but it is a good rivalry because it's it's two of the best players I think in NHL history that happen to come along within a year of each other, and they have to go through each other to the Stanley Cup anytime one of them wants to win it. The Penguins have won it twice since Crosby was here. Both years they had to go through grueling series with the Capitals. Yeah, we were talking about this before we went on the air about the perception of Ovi, particularly north of the border, how he. <sighs> It's a bit skewed. I'll, I'll put it Still, that way. Still, apparently. It's, it's, yeah, is that, is that not, a fair... Not, not by that's everybody. A, that's a mild way. No, no I don't want to generalize, but... but right. There but is there, a There perception. are skewed opinions up there, and... Yes, just enjoy the player. Is he Sidney Crosby? At, at this point now, you can definitively say Sidney Crosby is the best player in the world. I'll, I'll go along with that. But Ovi's one of them. He's one of... Do, are, are we agreement he's top five? Uh, top ten? I've made this statement before, and I will, I'm will. i sticking to it. He's the best pure goal scorer I have ever watched play hockey. Now, there you go. I didn't get to watch Gretzky in his prime, but that was a different game. And I do wonder what Alex Ovechkin, just as a goal scorer, would have done in the 80s. Yeesh. Which isn't fair to compare eras, I guess. Gretzky's the best player of all time. I'm not trying to start some crazy debate. I mean, that guy did insane things, and he's a winner. Whereas Ovechkin, unfortunately, for whatever reason, and maybe that comes to the territory of just being a pure goal scorer, he hasn't won anything at the NHL level. Mm. Um, it's harder to elevate from that position, I think. You just can't impact the game as much, and that's another reason I give the nod to Crosby, because you, you're just going to impact the game more from the center position or from the blue line. I think those are the areas where the game is. It's certainly, yeah. Now. I mean, I think goaltending used to be, but it's not as much now. And even the best goal scorers can't just score at will. Right. So if you get shut down for two games in the playoffs, 
That's it. So anyway, let's let's get into the metro here. We're just going to kind of run through. We quickly. start with the caps. Then? Yeah, let's start with the caps. Let's. Well, I mean, it, we're, we're, the the premise here, and we, we took a one week break after doing the Western Conference. We're hitting the Eastern Conference. We were starting. winded after that Western Conference. We actually forgot. Whatever. Okay, we'll just throw it out there. <laughs> Craig, Craig was not himself last week. <laughs> Craig was. Uh, yeah, we had we had. Well, what happened last week again? I don't we're really remember. Yeah, trying to block it. Something on a Tuesday. Remember in old school? Have you seen old school where Will Ferrell just blacks out and then he has that great answer at the debate? That's kind of what last week felt like. I don't know if our podcast was great, but so the premise here is, you know, tweaking these teams. What do they need to do to either sustain or you know, get them back on track? With with the Capitals, really, there's not much to complain about. They're playing terrific hockey. They're right in the the hunt for the Eastern Conference and their division titles, but. Uh, Braden Holpe has been really good, if not great, not quite up to his level last year, but still, you can't complain about anything. Maybe they could get a little more secondary scoring, uh, probably need a little better production for what is normally a top-tier power play, but has not been. It's been a middle-of-the-pack. They need, they need Evgeny Kuznetsov to wake up, because if he can start producing, that would really help. Yeah. And, and as our good friend and diehard Cavs fan Carl Putnam noted, Lars Eller needs to sp- stop spending as much time in the penalty box as he does on the ice. As only Carl could know. Yes. Jaded Capitals fan that he is, but very, very knowledgeable Capitals fan. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot to fix with the Capitals. You you hit the points right there. Uh, we'll speed through some of these teams because some of them don't have a whole lot to fix. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll go with the Penguins here. Uh, they could show up for games against the Capitals. That would help. <laughs> uh, for the most part with Pittsburgh, I, this isn't even so much that something that will affect them on the ice this year. I don't necessarily think it could, I guess, if they handle it wrong. The defense, okay, I'll start with the defense. Defense isn't, is not elite. They, uh, they, over, they overperformed last year, but you know the other way to look at that is they stepped up during the playoffs and they had injuries. So I'm not going to take anything away from that, that group. This is basically the same team that won the Cup last year, and they didn't, they didn't fluke into winning the Cup. They were the best team last year. They were. Uh, but the goaltending situation, in years past, you would look at the goaltending situation if you were looking at the Penguins and you would say, well, that's not going to hold up in the playoffs. Uh, we've seen now Matt Murray can. Flurry has in the past. Matt Murray's playing well again. He is. They kind of need to figure out what they're going to do there. I'm, I'm fine if the thought is, you know what, we're just going to go for the cup. It doesn't hurt to have two goalies. Um, I personally trust Matt Murray more in the playoffs than Flurry. It's nothing against Flurry. I think he's... So do you deal him and try to get a defenseman to add to your blue line? Well, see, I don't have the answer in this situation other than if you're going to go into the expansion draft next year and you're going to protect Matt Murray and Fleury's going to get taken by the Vegas team if you don't make a deal with them or sure, whatever, when I get something. you better win the Cup or at least get to the Cup to, to lose an asset like Marc-Andre Fleury for nothing. And I would assume the asset that you wouldn't protect is Fleury because if you don't protect Murray, he's the first pick in the expansion draft. He's what, a 22-year-old goalie that's already won the Stanley Cup yeah, and no you're the consummate. So, yeah, that's, okay. that's it for the Penguins. One last, one last thought on the Penguins. In, in terms of you know, we, we heard for such a long time that the Penguins won the Cup a, a while back with Sidney Crosby, and there was this concern that maybe they could never get, maybe it was a, a flash in the pan, they couldn't get back there. I think now that the Penguins have won the second Cup, there's sort of a swagger, a confidence, a, an ease of mind with that team, too, now where they could, I'm not saying they're going to cruise into the playoffs and just put it on neutral, but they know what it takes now, and that's, that's a big deal. To, to have won your sec, second Cup, to, to understand that whole process now, I this is going to be a dangerous team again come playoff time, assuming you know major injuries do not impact them. Yeah, I, I would just piggyback on that real quick and, and say, yeah, I agree. In the, in the sense that there's always going to be pressure, 
but there's not nearly as much pressure now that you've won that second cup, or even if that was your first cup. Just the fact that you won the cup last year, there's pressure, but it's a different kind of pressure than with the Penguins. The Penguins are feeling a lot of negative pressure for four or five, six years in there, to your point of, got all this talent, why, why do they only win one cup? Well, now take a step back and look at the last seven years in the NHL. The only teams winning the cup were the Kings, Blackhawks, and Penguins. Right. And the Kings aren't going to win it this year. The Blackhawks or Penguins, are, you know, they still have a very legitimate shot at it. But now I think you buy yourself a little bit of a buffer this year where if you go out there and you lose in the conference finals, well, yeah, you wanted to win. You want to be that first team that's won back-to-back in 20 years. But whatever. It's not, it's, it's, there's not that component of uh, if we lose the series, we may have to blow the whole team up because that was there for a while. It and was, Absolutely. That's not there this year. And the last time they won the Cup, the following year, if you recall, they got taken out by Montreal when Yaroslav Halak was playing out of his mind. He took out Ovechkin, and then he took out Crosby. So they were playing good that year. I'm interested to see how they can play loose this year in the playoffs. All right, let's jump on to the Rangers, the other team that's really excelling in this division right now. They need nothing. And here's the thing about New York. Right now, they're they're tearing it up. They, you can make an argument that they're the best team in the league. I know Montreal's right up there in points, too. I think a couple ahead of them, actually. But the Rangers have been insanely impressive, and now they're starting to win on the road. You look at the numbers, though. Their core C4 is 47.12, 26th in the NHL. They're not possessing the puck, or at least not... Yeah, I'm not one of those people who says Corsi is possession. It correlates to possession. Okay. That would be the factual way of putting it, but... Still, it's been a really good indicator of success for teams, and that's not a good number. They've got a league-high 1.069 PDO, so they're having a lot of puck luck. They're scoring four and a quarter goals per game, and they're getting production from a bunch of guys where their careers or their age would normally suggest that's not going to keep up. Michael Grabner has 10 goals. Kevin Hayes has eight goals. Jimmy Vesey has seven goals. Something's going to give here. I see... A significant regression coming for the Rangers. Really? I don't think that they're this good. I think they're going to regress back to the mean Ooh, a little bit. Interesting. At some point soon. Uh, the, the, the thing I would say with the Rangers, first of all, this is my favorite stat. They have 13 players that would currently lead the Vancouver Canucks in total points. <laughs> That's a great stat. That's, it's not an exaggeration. They have 13 guys that would lead. And that, in, that includes Jesper Faust. Uh, <laughs> that includes basically everybody on the team. Let's just put it that way. They may regress a little bit, but my thing with the Rangers has always been they're dangerous in any playoff series because of Henrik Lundqvist, who I don't think has lost a step yet. I think that's sure. crazy. Um, they got younger in the offseason and got better, which means they also got cheaper. At least for now. Yeah. Well, I'm, but still I, not, I'm still not holding their blue line either, to be honest, but we'll see. That's fair. That The blue line outside of Ryan McDonough, there are some questions. But either way, they, they are, they've done a good job of revitalizing a team that Last year, when the playoffs ended, it just kind of seemed like, is that it? Are the Rangers, are they basically a, a good version of Vancouver where they don't realize that they're trending the wrong direction? They're not trending the wrong direction anymore. Not right that. now. Not right now. I like that foreshadowing by Craig. If the Rangers, if they, if they tumble out of the playoffs in the first round, we're going to have to come back to this podcast. If they don't, however, we won't mention it again. No, no, never. Okay. We destroy most of these podcasts before they ever hit the air. Yours. Uh, I'll hit the Islanders. And I I will point out that this morning you were like, you can have the Rangers, I'll take the Islanders. And I wasn't awake yet. And you're like, you know what, you're not awake, you get the Islanders. To which I responded, this is how the Islanders got into the NHL. In that vein, by the way, I need to learn not to text you before 9 a.m. Since you keep vampire hours. It's it's not vampire hours. The Coyotes dropped the puck last night at 8 (laughs) o'clock. So the postgame show was done at midnight. Uh, That's not typical. For the Islanders, I'll keep this real simple. 
you need to put somebody around John Tavares because in my mind you're wasting you the career need to one trade of the him? best players. Have you I, seen these no. rumors? Yes, trade John Tavares. What? For what? What are you going to trade John Tavares for? <laughs> what are you, you going to trade him for? That's one of the pieces you want. He's what did, you like. Like around. I said to you in the text, did, did Peter Shirelli change jobs while I was sleeping? <laughs> Wait, you said Peter Shirelli's name and Jamie didn't appear out of like a puff of smoke. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Still he, checking. he must really not be here today. I was waiting for him to jump out from behind the computer over there. That's it with the Islanders. They've they've got some. They got to figure out their goalie situation. They sadly need to seem to rebuild a team around John Tavares, which I thought they had done a couple years ago. But we don't need to go any deeper on the Islanders. Okay, let's let's jump to Columbus then because I have a, a couple of recommendations for them. First, trade Brandon Saad back to Chicago and pay part of his salary. That would be my first recommendation. <laughs> The second one is, is Columbus is actually scoring like mad. They scored 10 goals against Montreal and 8 against St. Louis, two of the best defensive teams in the league. I'm bewildered. I have no idea how this is sustained, but I wouldn't mess with the damn thing right now on this team that's two points off a wild card spot. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I think this team is, is there at the end of the season fighting for a wild card. I, Ooh, I honestly now do. That is a bold, that's a hot take right there. Because the, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they're there. I don't know if they get there, but I think they're one of those Come teams. On. I think Finish it. Commit. Zach Wierenski yes. is a beast. I agree. He would win Rookie of the Year if not for Patrick Line, and he might anyway. Mm. Uh, he's, he is an absolute machine. So they get Seth Jones back at some point. You've got Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski on your blue line. Nick Foligno. Grossly underperformed last year. Yeah, Remember, he's, have, he's having a good year this year. Seventy-three points two years ago. So you know that's in him. If he can put up fifty-five to sixty this year, now he's you know last year he's I don't know if he got worn down by the expectations of wearing the C on his sweater or whatever. This team is it's a team that a lot of people thought could push for a playoff spot last year, and they were horrendous. It's the same team plus Zach Wierenski and. You know my thoughts on Zach Wierenski. By the way, Alex Winberg, 13 assists. I know. Too. There's a lot of guys producing. I think Brandon Saad's like fifth on this team in points right now. Yeah. Which is... It's crazy that why you're... Why they're trying, talk, talking about trading him, right? You're not... Well, you are because you want him traded to Chicago. But you're not even looking at the stat sheet and you know that Brandon Saad is fifth on the Blue Jackets. You, it's not you like I'm preoccupied with that, that loss on the left wing with, <laughs> that would be playing with Jonathan Davis and Patrick Kane right now. Not you at can't all. let Brandon Saad go. It's, you know, it's funny because it's been harder for me than the other ones. Yeah. Dustin Bufflin and, and and even Christopher Stieg hurt a little bit, but mostly Dustin Bufflin. That, well, he's that better than dumb. Brandon Saad, by the way. He is, but for some reason, Brandon Saad, I, I just keep looking at that hole on the left wing on their top line that Richard Ponick was manning for a while and Ponick many others. Attack. And, oh, by the way, Vinny Hinestroza was on that line until he got hurt. Just just makes you sad. Flyers. Okay, go. Uh, they are healthy scratching Shane Goss' spirit tonight, which is an interesting <laughs> strategy to employ. But whatever. Hey, whatever works for you. All right, if you want to send a message for one game. All right, Dave Haxtell, go ahead. I wouldn't do it for more than one. No. I think Dave Haxtell's actually done a good job with that team, but they are just – are they the perennial underachievers of the NHL? The Flyers are a team that – always now for the last couple of years just seems to sort of be in the background. Okay, yeah, maybe they might flirt with a playoff spot, but they have Jacob Voracek, and they have Claude Giroux. By the way, they're each putting up a point per game this year, and they have Wayne Simmons. We've, we've outlined his, uh, his impact, and they have Shane Gostisbehere. I mean, this is a team This should be a playoff team, and I don't know what you can do midseason to put pieces around those guys, but the, the area they clearly need to improve this season is goaltending and defense. That's it's been that way for a while. All right. Can we just move on? Okay. All right. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I got nothing more to add on the Flyers. That's fine. But that, doesn't that speak to my point? This should be a team we, yeah. we talk about a lot, and there's yeah, not much to we, talk about. We, yeah, we keep, yeah, we keep saying the same things about them. That's the thing. It's just they have those pieces where you're like, how is it not happening for this club? Like, I don't get it. If, if you and I keep saying the same things in our air-conditioned studio in Phoenix, Arizona, what do you think the guys are in the restaurants in, in Philadelphia? What do you think they're saying about this I don't this think team? they're being quite as kind as Probably we are. not. Okay. Okay, what about the New Jersey Devils, who just lost Taylor Hall for three to four weeks? They should have cloned him. That's not going to help. It would have helped. How about their blue line? How about David, David Severson? What do you think of this this player? I think he's made great strides for them and can really help this blue line. They still have a dearth of defensemen. That That's the first issue. But speaking of Corsi 4 percentages, they're at 52.88 right now. The New Jersey Devils. I guess Travis Zajac <laughs> and Adam Henrique are playing better than I assume that they could. They're And they're fine centers. They're Again, they're not either teams that can win a Stanley Cup for you or teams with which uh, guys with which you can win a Stanley Cup to put it in your parlance. So yeah. Parlance, that's my third word. That's yeah. some compunction, veneer, and parlance. Okay. I'm, I'm actually going to write these down, and that's going to be but, the title. You know, they're, they're actually they're scoring a little more this season, 2.4 goals per game than 2.22 last year. They're defending better. They have Corey Schneider, who's ridiculously good. But still, I just... I, this blue line is a real problem for me, and I, I still don't see either one of those centers as being a guy who can take you to the next level. No, they're better than uh, I thought they would be this year, and their defense is better than I thought it would be because we did this podcast back when we previewed the Devils. They actually only had five NHL defensemen on their roster. That wasn't an exaggeration. So Damon Severson has been a revelation uh, for really this has. team this year. So you like to have players like that step into your lineup, and they probably, I'm guessing they saw that coming, that maybe that was part of the reason they were. <laughs> Well, there's probably one reason they were willing to part with Adam Larson because Edmonton was offering Taylor Hall. Can I just say, I, I, oh, this, this just they gave him Taylor Hall. I'm heard, still not over it. I heard this yesterday. The the narrative. You and I, Jamie. Remember Jamie? Jamie was a guy that used to do the show. We um, when it happened. We, yeah, I remember. No, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm hard I don't time. remember his last name, right, but it ahead. was Ben. Maybe it was Jamie Ben. I don't know. Um, we're we're hearing the narrative now of well that you know, it's a good move by the Oilers that we're seeing now. It was controversial, but we're seeing now trading Taylor Hall was the answer for this team to get out of Larson Bay. No, it's not how this works. If I need money, and I have a car, and I sell the car for five hundred dollars, well yeah, I got five hundred dollars and I needed that money. But if my car is worth ten thousand dollars, that doesn't make it a good deal. That just means in the moment it looks better because I needed the five hundred dollars more than the car. <laughs> The Oilers didn't need Taylor Hall. They needed defense, so I get that. And, yes, it was a smart move. Wait, the, they didn't need Taylor Hall? Apparently not. Not as much as some teams. They didn't need it as much as they needed defense. But the the theory of the Oilers went out and got defense, yes, that was a good move. Trading Taylor Hall, who's worth 80 on a scale of 1 to 100 for a guy that's worth Go get something better. 55, yeah, you didn't need Adam to trade Marshall. Taylor Hall for him. You think. need to get a top-pairing defenseman if you're going to trade Taylor you Hall. Have to or just leave him on the line with Connor McDavid and watch the magic. Yeah, right? I would have just kept him. You could find defensemen other ways. Oof. Uh, Jeff Skinner is the leading scorer for the Carolina Hurricanes. This, I thought this team would be better this year. I, really I did, did, too. I, I sort of pegged them as a team that could take a step and... They so just so far. They don't have enough secondary scoring. That's the simplest way to put it. The uh, Cam Ward actually hasn't been bad in net this year. He started 11 games. He's got a 2.51 goals against average. So he's, for the most part, keeping the puck out of the net. And that means Carolina is keeping the puck out of the net. But they don't score at all. They just... 
Yeah, Sebastian Ajo been okay. I mean, you can't you can't put too much on a rookie, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm sure they thought. Well, I don't know. You know, Lee, Lee Stepniak's doing okay. Tevu Taravainen, is he ever going to be more than we saw in Chicago? Is he ever more than a third line player? You know, there's some nice skills there, but can he can he produce points? Right now, he's he's four goals, four assists, which is okay, but. You're on track for what a forty-some point season. That's that's hardly dynamic. It's fine for for now. I think that's the biggest key for the Hurricanes is just be patient with this. You do have pieces with Sebastian Ajo and Tebu Teravine and potentially Noah Hannafin. I like their defense uh, where it's going. Mm-hmm. Justin Falk's hurt right now. They probably they probably expected more from Elias Lindholm at this point. He is somebody that has three assists on the season. Uh, he was the fifth overall pick in 2013. This was a guy that they were expecting some offense from, and, and he uh, he was born in Bowdoin, Sweden, so maybe this is the perfect transition. Uh, well, I wanted to mention one other thing as long as we're on the Hurricanes. Just the, the awful story that came out with Brian Bickle yeah. last week, being diagnosed with MS. And I will admit I was one of those people who couldn't wait for the Blackhawks to unload that contract because he wasn't producing. He'd been, now we... We probably know why. He's been having issues. He couldn't figure out, as he said himself, I was trying to figure out why my body basically wouldn't cooperate with me and yeah. do the things that I knew it could do. And it's just a sad, sad story. You wish the best for Brian Bickle. That's an awful situation. And he was a guy, you know, you look at Chicago, those teams in the core is the same as it is now with Taves and Kane and Seabrook and Keith and Hosa. But Bickle was the guy in front of the net. You can speak to this better than, than I can. Yeah, of good just, playoffs. He, yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys that you can't measure his value until the playoffs because in the playoffs he's going to get it done. He's like Joel Ward or Justin Williams. Maybe not to the extent of Justin Williams because Justin Williams is Mr. Game 7. But they won cups because of Brian Bickle. Not solely because of him, but... He contributed, no he, doubt. At, at the most key of moments. So, yeah, you're right. Not yeah, It's obviously just a terrible story. Um, we are going to debut this segment. I don't know what's going to happen here. Really, anything could happen. You can give them the name. Swedish Things is going to be the name of the segment, correct? That's yes. what we're going with? Okay, so and our guy. So Sebastian Norin writes for FanRag. Uh, he writes a lot <laughs> on the soccer side of things. Uh, <laughs> Funny you should mention soccer. It is, isn't it? We'll get to that in a second. Big hockey fan. Uh, doesn't live in Phoenix anymore, but used to cover the Coyotes. Big hockey guy, legitimately from Sweden, so knows some of the Swedish players really well. Has some good connections around Including the league, including one particular Swede on the Coyotes who you'll hear from in a moment. Who, who's a who's a pretty good hockey player. Um, he hosts a Swedish hockey podcast that I actually went on a couple weeks ago. I, I, I told you the story. He introduced Did you me. Drop com- your Swedish completely in Swedish, and I was like, "What's going on?" I didn't know when to talk until he <laughs> said my name because I don't speak any Swedish. <laughs> But, um, yeah, he knows his stuff. We're going to have him on today. We were going to have him on earlier. We're going to have him on today. And then I don't know where the segment's going to go beyond this. So stay tuned because we don't know yet either. But we're going to have Sebastian Noren on right now to join us to talk a little, uh, little NHL with, the, with, a, with a twist of Swedish flavor. It's now time for Swedish Things with our special guest, Sebastian Noren. Hey Sebastian, uh, you think you know so much about soccer, but you really don't. It's like an hour. All right, so uh, you, you heard the intro there. I don't really know what to say about that, Craig, other than uh, it was fantastic. I want to hear Sebastian's reaction to that. <laughs> so, yes, joining us now, Sebastian Noren, fan rag hockey writer. He's 
does a lot of soccer writing too. Sebastian, how are you doing over there? I'm doing all right. Uh, yeah, what can I say about that intro? It starts off real nice with national anthem of my home country, Sweden, and then, uh, yeah, Alderick and Larson coming in there, taking a little dig. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy to deliver a response if you want, Seth. I mean, I, I've i seen them warming up, you know, when they do the keep up with the soccer ball, and, you know, he he would be an awful soccer player. <laughs> But you can just tell him that. Okay, I, okay. Will, I will certainly pass that along. Pass that, yeah, I'm sure that will elicit further response from EL as well. So this this could just be a running dialogue, and I could be the middleman. I like this Swedish beef between our uh, our Swedish our angry Swedish hockey resident and a future Hall of Famer defenseman in the NHL. This is fantastic. Yep. I feel like I I don't have the upper hand here. Really, <laughs> you got to play to your strengths, Sebastian. All right, so. We're going to have you on at least this week, and then we're going to do stuff in the future. We don't know what yet, but we want to get your thoughts on. I, I think we should probably start actually with Nicholas Backstrom last night with two goals and the three That's assists against Pittsburgh. Pretty good place to start. Uh, so, I, I, this is how this is how I want to frame this, Sebastian. The country of Sweden, population-wise, isn't huge, and yet you guys have taken over the NHL with the majority of the skilled players. It seems like. How is that so happening? Defensemen too. A lot of defensemen. What's what? How big is hockey in Sweden? It's the second. I mean, it's comparable with soccer. Those are our two biggest sports. Uh, You got a lot of kids playing hockey, especially you know if you get up towards Stockholm and further north. That's basically all you do because it gets really, really cold. It's sort of comparable to Canada, in a way. Like like what part of Canada? How would you compare? Which part of Canada in terms of cold? Well, I haven't been to Canada. I just know that it's cold. Just throwing out these comparisons. You know what? Yeah. I bought it. That's good. Okay, well, let's, let's say like, this. Is it like I, Manitoba I, cold or British Columbia cold? Okay, I'm going to say this. I went on a ski trip many years ago when I was still living back home up to around the Arctic Circle. Ooh, that's It was negative 34 degrees. And Jeez. the guy, when we came to our hotel, he said, guys, just so you know, if you're drunk and you're you know, outside, don't pee outside because you can get frostbite. Okay. That's an awful way I, to go. Yeah, wow. Just so much so wrong that's with that how visual. cold again. <laughs> Transitioning from that. So I guess that explains, I mean, because the population of Sweden, I don't know it off the top of my head, but it's probably, what, around 10 million-ish? Uh-oh, yeah, some, somewhere around there. Oh, oh congratulations. Okay. Is that up on your screen? No, this is, I have a list of my favorite he, Swedish he hockey players. This. Okay. And, and so that's about, what, a third as, as big as California, just in terms of population, <laughs> and yet like a third of the NHL's best players are from Sweden. <laughs> so something's going on. Uh I, we're going to open the floor if you have any sort of rants just about the NHL in general. But uh, Craig and I have compiled, compiled our lists of our favorite Swedish hockey players of all time. So we thought maybe you'd jump in because I'm guessing you have a few favorite Swedish hockey players of all time, correct? Yeah, we'll let you start it off. Yeah, you can go ahead and start. Who are, who are the, some of the guys that you looked up to growing up? Well, all-time favorite is Peter Forsberg. Mm, yeah. yeah. All-time favorite. That is, uh, even when he played back home, you saw that he was just this, Phenomenal talent, and he he has that winner mentality. I saw them lose in the in the Swedish playoffs. Uh, I think it was right the year before he actually went over to the NHL. And seeing someone get so pissed off by losing, you could just tell that he's he's got that determination to become a great player. So yeah, Peter Forsberg definitely number one. Uh, Matt Sundin, another great player. 
And I think, you know, ever since he left Toronto, they've been looking for a new number one center. They probably found one in Austin Matthews. Um, so Matt Sundin definitely up there. Nicholas Lidstrom is up there. Thomas Sandstrom was a personal favorite. Um, Alf Samuelson, which people in Arizona might be familiar with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of good ones. We haven't been as lucky on the goaltending you know, it's been Hendrik Lundqvist, and that's pretty much yeah, it. He's pretty decent. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Let me jump in. Peter Forsberg is one of my all-time favorite NHL players. Well, wait. Before you jump in, let me just note this. I noticed I didn't hear Oliver Ekman Larson's name on Sebastian's oh, list. He, so. he may have been on the list before that intro. That's possible. All right. Probably dropped him. So, exactly. No, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's hard to say players that are that are playing right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You want to see the whole body of work. Yeah. Okay. But back on Forsberg, while he was playing, I mean, in that era, I loved watching Peter Forsberg. I loved watching Mark Messier. Two guys who brought, in my mind, a complete game to the ice. There were no holes. They did everything well. You know, the defensive side is glossed over too much, I think, when we talk about the greatest players of all time. But, but this is a guy who did all. By the way, did, did Peter Forsberg actually have death rays in his eyes because when I look at his eyes, sometimes it, it, it just looks scary to me. I, I'd be intimidated as an opponent. Well, I mean, that's the thing. He had that hunger to win, and he, he did it all. Like you said, he was a very well-rounded player. It wasn't all just flair. I mean, Wayne Gretzky, best player of all time, no doubt about it, but he didn't have that sort of edge to his game that Forsberg had. Yep. I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of people would consider Wayne Gretzky a great defensive player either. I know... He was effective as a penalty killer because he was aggressive. He, Yari Curry, guys like that would just attack, and, and they'd be in offensive mode. But in terms of mm-hmm. that side of the game, you know, maybe not so much. You didn't want him defending in your zone. Well, he never had to because he was no. putting up six points yes, a game. Yes, he always had the puck. But uh, <laughs> we all had Forsberg on the list. It's, 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 that's not a shock, obviously. But I will say this. When I was really, really first getting into hockey, Forsberg was – I guess it wasn't when I was first getting in, but still, you know, when I was a kid watching, Forsberg was the – most well-rounded player in the league for a few years there. And it was kind of, he was in that era with like Paul Correa and Eric Lindros, but Forsberg would score all those goals and he would have all those beautiful assists. And if you went to hit him, he'd just hit you even if he had the puck. I mean, there was, he was a physical presence. He was a, a really fun player to watch. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Think, and then I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit too young to remember Burya Salming and, uh, you know, Hoke and Lube and Mark Nesloop oh, and Kent Nilsson. Hoke and Lube is on my list simply because his name is Hoke and Lube. Yeah. But I got to I mean, ask he, you, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that, what I saw from him, because I'm pretty sure, yeah, he went back and played in Sweden afterwards. So, I mean, I do remember Hoke and Lube, but not from the NHL. Seb, what is, that, was, what is that thing called above the A, the first A in Hoke? What is that thing? Hork. It's an Oa. An Oa? Oa. Okay. So you got Hokan. See, this is the See, thing. This, this is where I want to get into. I, 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 I've talked to this Sebastian is, this before. Folks, this, dear listeners, is knowledge. This, <laughs> pay attention. Yeah. Sebastian is a legitimate Swede. Like, he's from Sweden. His pronunciation of every Swedish player's name is different than how we pronounce it, all the way down to, like, Douglas Murray. It's a different pronunciation. <laughs> Douglas Murray. Yeah, see? See, there it is. I'm like, hey, Dougie yep. Murs. I don't yep. know why I would is a fun name yep. to say. You have to admit. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, no, yeah, so I mean, yeah. so for, for, let's say for Backstrom, I mean, his name is Niklas Beckstrom. See, see. Do you remember Freddie, I think he told me his name was pronounced Hustrom when he was here, and Freddy everyone Schustrom. was pronouncing it Schustrom. Oh. Can you tell me the proper pronunciation of that name? Hustrom. 
Go ahead. Kostrum. That doesn't sound like shoes. Not what anyone around here was saying. We need like no. an app. I need an app on my phone where Sebastian can I just translate. I want something things. I can speak through. Yeah, I'm pronouncing a name. Right. I don't want to be yeah. mispronouncing these guys' names on the air, thinking it's I'm all right. Um, okay, Nick Lidstrom on everybody's list. Yes, yeah, we can, we can absolutely. assume that. Yeah. It, it, in my opinion, you know, aside from just the absolute grace of play, two-way play, I think Nick Lidstrom de- redefined the defensive position as much as anyone since Bobby Orr. He played the game where it looked easy to him. And I don't want to make some obscene comparison here, but I know Oliver Ekman-Larsen looked up to Nicholas Lidstrom, and from what I remember of Lidstrom, I see similarities in OEL and the simple fact that it looks easy when he's doing things out there. Sebastian, how, how, how common was that for a young Swedish hockey player growing up? Did they all just look up to Nicholas Lidstrom? Is that pretty much the, the, the bar? Yeah, I think that's become the norm for that generation of defensemen really i mean you got guys like eric carlson and like we said Oliver, and you know even victor hedman to a, to a certain extent although he's you know big and re- really strong too but yeah just the way they use their stick and position i mean especially for oliver his positional awareness and his stick work in, in the defensive zone is is top notch yeah definitely and that comes from watching a lot of nicholas lidstrom who else is on your list, Lipinski? My list. Well, you guys raised this is the this is our Lipinski list yeah. that that appears periodically. You know, whenever Luke remembers it, <laughs> more or, or more accurately when I remind him about it. Uh, we ran through most of. I mean, the all-time greats to me were Forsberg and Lidstrom. I know there's a ton of other ones. I I like watching Henrik Lundqvist play net as long as uh, See, as long as you're not playing yeah, against you're, Henrik Lundqvist. You're talking about goaltenders, by the way, and there, there's one obviously, but another one and almost brings a tear to my eye because I love this guy too, and I I was a goalie growing up and. Really idolized this guy and actually was a Flyer fan. Pelle Lindbergh, who obviously died in an auto accident, it was a horrible situation. But Pelle Lindbergh was a phenomenal goalie. I think could have been a star in this league for many years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Pelle Lindbergh, he he was very promising, and unfortunately, you know, he he succumbed in that car accident. And you know, since then, really, Lundqvist was the first big. Swedish goaltender that we got because yeah sure you got Tommy Salo but he was sort of meh in the grand scheme of things so <laughs> Tommy Salo is officially meh. meh meh is pronounced the same way in Swedish as it yeah, is in English that's, that's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. it's good to know I want to throw two names or a couple names out there I guess Henrik Zetterberg we haven't talked about he's he's mm. he's on my that's list a, that's a good name of, actually I just love watching that guy play he still plays and he's still pretty effective but uh, he's mm. one and then I don't know how these guys are received for whatever reason, they seem to have a stigma on them in North America. But Henrik and Daniel Sedin, I mean, what is what is their legacy over in Sweden, Sebastian? I mean, they're huge. Of course, they're huge. I mean, being ever since they came up together, you know, they've always played together first in Moto and then with the Canucks. So, yeah, I mean, they're always welcome home when it's time for a world championship or something like that. You know, we would love to have them. Um, it's just I feel like they've started their decline now. Vancouver is not a very good team, so <laughs> unfortunately, I think they're sort of. As long as we don't, if we can just look past these last couple of years with them now, I think their legacy is going to be phenomenal. Someone needs to tell the Canucks, by the way, that they're not a very good team because they still haven't come to grips with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, that is just shocking to me, really, uh, that they can't just. But apparently, you know, they have an owner who wants results now, so they're trying to patch it up, but. Uh, I don't know. I have them finishing last in the, in the division. So well, they'll we'll play see. the Coyotes tonight, so it's yeah. 
Yeah, and then I mean, we shouldn't forget about Mike, uh, Michael Rienberg, Michael Rinberg, who was a part of the Legion of Doom. Um, yeah. John LeClaire and yeah. Eric Lindros. Oh, if you want to go, yeah. way, if we want to go way back, can I bring up and you give me the proper pronunciation here? But Anders Hedberg. Anders Hedberg, yes. Uh, this is going to be the game. Sebastian, uh, we're going to get Sebastian to record like three Swedish names every week. And we're going to play them, and we're going to try and figure out who you, said. Do you remember the commercials? The Sesson Jeans commercials? Were you guys even alive no, then? I don't. 1979. No. Phil Esposito, Ron Duguay, Dave Maloney, and, and who is it? What's the name again? Anders, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't pronounce it. <laughs> you don't remember these commercials? No. He wasn't alive then Give either. Give a listen. Yeah. No, and then, I mean, Ulf Dahlien, he had a pretty solid NHL career, too. Craig is dancing to some sort of music from the 70s it's right It's a now. blue jean commercial that they recorded. It, it's, it's horrific. I'm yeah, going to kill it Come right off now. the rails, and it's not even Sebastian's fault. <laughs> I, have, uh, <laughs> I have two questions for Sebastian before we get taken off the air. The first podcast ever get taken off the air. Sesson Jeans. Are, are, are those Swedish? They, no, they're okay. It's a New York commercial. They took four Rangers... And put them, oh, it was, it was horrible. Yeah, with, it with, like it first was of all, with like approaching 80s hair, because it's 79. <laughs> Pre-80s hair, yes, great. Yes, <laughs> Just a, a hint of what's to come. You can go back in time dancing, and Dancing, skating thing. and dancing, so there, there was a little bit of that like ice capades feel to it as well. And singing, it was awful. You know Sebastian's calling wow. it from Stockholm for it's, this right now. Awful. I'll send it to you, Seb. You haven't seen this? It's actually in Cincinnati. I'm no, I have not seen this. Oh, I, I'm sending it to you right now right. While, while Luke okay. keeps talking. Okay. About it. I, I have two actual questions for you. Uh, <laughs> one, can you give us maybe like two or three players? And I'm, I'm sure, I mean, they're players where we have all heard of, obviously, but two or three guys that you look at around the league with a Swedish background that are on the way up in this league that maybe don't get a whole lot of hype yet. Uh, Alexander Venberg okay. in Columbus. I mean, played phenomenally so far. Uh, been a, yeah, I mean, that is, you know, I'm surprised that Columbus are doing as well as they are. I'm really surprised. Uh, and <laughs> just a lot of it about that, down, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way they beat Montreal 10 nothing. I mean, that is, that's got to be horrible, though, being that, in that arena and that cannon goes off 10 times. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I am, yes. I'm actually going up there for a game on Monday. Um, they're playing Colorado. And I'm just, I'm almost hoping that they don't score. <laughs> well, in years past, that would have been a good hope. I think we're all in agreement. That's our least favorite tradition in the NHL. But they that score can, a ton I, now. I hate that can. They, they are scoring yeah, a ton. They scored eight against St. Louis, as we mentioned. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. They're scoring like crazy. Uh, anybody else yeah. besides uh, Wenberg? Mm, I mean, I Andre Burkowski, Washington, I still think that there's more to come from him. Okay. Um, Is there more to come and, from Yale? You may not want to say from, that right now, but... From OEL? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You think he has another oh, yeah. level still? Yeah. I know he thinks I think, he has another level, too. Yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to get another level, and it's going to be where he's in the Norris Trophy talk year in, year out. That's, um, that's an interesting sort of point to bring up. What do you think it, it's going to take for him to be in that conversation? Because, you know, you, you used to live here in Phoenix. It's It's... Now you actually probably have the best example of this because now you're you're closer to the East Coast. I mean, how much how much publicity does he get playing playing defense? So you can't just point to goals, although he scores more goals than pretty much every defenseman except Carlson and Burns every year, especially in overtime. Yeah. yeah. What, what what does he have to do to get in that that Norris talk? Because in my opinion, he should have been there two years ago. Yeah. Well, I think the problem I, if you watch the broadcast and you switch over to the you know home feed 
they talk about Oliver. They do. They're like, oh, he's very exciting. So it's a, I'm surprised that the, the actual people that vote for these things aren't more knowledgeable. Maybe don't they don't stay up late and watch the games. I don't know. And then they just look at the numbers. But yeah. if you're looking at his his all-around game, he should be in the conversation. He should have more votes than he had last year. And But with that said, yeah, it might take that he, he has to get 25 goals. Or, and or, maybe, or add some assists, right? I, yeah, I do yeah. think, I think I do, it's sad, but yeah, people do look far too much at numbers when measuring Norstead. I'm talking about production. Of course, game what he goals every other night. I know, and it, but it's, you got to be up at, like, at a certain point threshold for them to even consider you. And I think the market hurts, too. I well, yeah, playing he played, here really he hurts played in Toronto, he would yeah. win the Norris every year. Yeah, and the Coyotes aren't having oh, yeah. any success. But so. he wouldn't win any other games if he played in Toronto. Um, my last that, that is true. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and then I would say uh, William Nylander. I mean, we already know he's he's a really good player already, but he, he's just going to get better and better. How how does his brother look? Alex is playing, or he's going to be playing for Buffalo, correct? How, have you seen much of him? Uh, no, I've only seen some highlights. He, he's doing pretty well. He's also a phenomenal talent. I mean, we saw that in the juniors last last year. Um, in the junior world championship that he, he's going to be a phenomenal player as well. And they got good stock. I mean, coming from their dad, Mikkel, who was, you know, a, a very underrated player. I'm sorry. I'm still listening to the pronunciation. Craig, Craig's trying to learn. I'm, that I'm, one wasn't even I'm that hard. Pronunciation, pronouncing it right now. I'm, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, it has to be could, Craig's favorite segment you, of all time. Could you time. just talk in Swedish? Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I think we, we could easily come to a situation where we're talking about Norris Trophy and, the first three names you're going to name are Eric Carlson, Oliver ekman Larson, and Victor Hedman. Yeah. Yeah. And Hedman, you mentioned it earlier, plays a much different game than, uh, than those two. My last question for Sebastian before we let him go, because he's got important things to do. He can't be doing this podcast with us all day. The Olympics. We were talking about this a little bit earlier, and, and we were kind of comparing it to the World Juniors. And I, I like the World Juniors more just because – there's five. I mean, Sweden, Finland, the U.S., Canada, Russia. It just seems like they they each win one, and then they wait five years before they win the next one. It's more wide open. But you know, as, as somebody that grew up outside of North America, what are your thoughts on having NHL players in the Olympics? Is that something that you you'd like to see more of, or would you like to see them maybe transition away and go back to amateurs? No, I want to see the best players. Okay. I mean, it's it's as as simple as that. My first Olympics I remember was 1994 in Lillehammer, in Norway, and that was. You know, before they started doing NHL players, we won that one, so I'm happy about that. But I, I feel like the best tournaments have been since then when we actually have the world's best. How much of a, is it a big deal for Swedish players and for, and for the nation to have them represent the country at the Olympics? How, how oh do yeah. You, how do you gauge yeah. that? I mean, that that's the biggest thing. I mean, the World Cup this summer, yeah, that was fun, but Olympics, I I'll rank that a lot higher. I keep hold on. I got one more question. I keep coming up with questions here because you mentioned Norway, yeah, and the only yeah. the only really impactful Norwegian hockey player I can think of is Matt Zuccarello. And yet, like I said earlier, you know, Sweden has flooded the league, and Finland. There's a lot of Finnish players. Is there any? Is hockey just not as big in Norway as it is in those other countries right around it? I mean, it's growing. I mean, you see Norway getting better and better. You see Denmark getting better and better. Because I mean, if you look back just a decade, you know, Sweden would be Denmark by double digits. Yeah. They would be, beat Norway double digits. Now it's getting closer and closer. And then we've seen Switzerland. They've taken a big leap forward, too. So, you know, it's, it's growing. I mean, it, it's really a growing game, and I think the, all these smaller nations are going to get better and better, which is going to, 
you know, get more and more players over to the NHL, and then in the future we might not see a, you know, Team Europe or a under-23 <laughs> team, you know, compete, you would actually be able to put just nations on the ice. I want to see the NHL's European division, personally. Not, not just for the road trips that I'd like to take. No. But I want to see it. I'd oh, think, yeah. Be, I mean, the travel is something you have to manage. You have to figure out. You'd have to have allowances for teams. Probably have them go over, play the six teams all at once, or however many you have in the division, and then all at get once. a break. That would be awkward. Yeah. Well, Seven I mean, teams but, on know, the ice at yeah, the same be, time. Okay. Yeah, that would be tough, though, because then you got to lure the best teams away from the KHL. Yeah. That, I'm sure that would be nice and easy. I'm sure the KHL wouldn't mm-hmm. have a problem with that. Well, with, I mean, with our the two current leaders, there's going to be so much harmony between oh, our nation. Oh, boy, here we go. Okay, so, yeah. uh, <laughs> Sebastian, anything? We're, we're going to, if you're cool with it, we're probably going to have you on the show periodically if you, uh, if you haven't been scared off by this segment, like most of our listeners probably have. But, um, yeah, we, we enjoyed this, and we, uh, we'd like to have you back in the future if you're cool with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Sebastian. Right, Sebastian, good talking to you. That's uh, Sebastian. Thank you. Bye. Sebastian Norn bringing us some, some Swedish things, some Swedish hockey knowledge. Craig, it is, it's such a great nation that I've never been to. But in terms of you, know, you talk to hockey players, and you, you, hockey players have that reputation of, you know, they're just good guys. You, just, you like talking to these guys. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't walk around as if they're better than everybody else just because they play a professional sport. It's a very down-to-earth sport. I'm not trying to impugn other sports. I, I, <laughs> that was a big word for me. Just from standing next to Craig, I'm using words like that. But, but Swedish hockey players, just so just down-to-earth, and some of the best players in the league. We didn't even ask him about Swedish fish. I forgot to ask no, him about he Swedish would have got really angry. If he you probably would The Swedish Oreos, the Swedish fish Oreos. Oh, you don't want to bring that up. It's no. Okay. So it's a... Uh, Anyway, done here, aren't we? I, I believe we are done here. Our seven-hour podcast is complete. Excellent. So for Sebastian Noren, thanks to him for joining us. For Craig Morgan, uh, Jamie, wherever you are, hi. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.